I just want to invite people if you want to get crazy today, if you want to come up front, come on down. Come on down. It is better than that. Raise a hallelujah. The presence of my enemies. Praise the hallelujah, louder than my unbelief. Praise the hallelujah, a weapon is a melody. Praise the hallelujah, it comes to fight for me. sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder hear my praises roar up from the ashes hope will arise death is defeated the king is alive raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me darkness flee, raise a hallelujah, in the middle of the mystery, raise a hallelujah, fear you have to hold on me, I'm going to sing, I'm going to sing, in the middle of the storm, louder and louder, Hear my praises roar Up from the ashes Hope will arise Death is defeated The King is alive I'm gonna sing In the middle of the storm Louder and louder Hear my praises roar Up from the ashes Hope will arise Death is defeated, the King is alive. Sing a little louder, 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 sing a little louder. of my enemies louder than my unbelief my weapon is a melody 
crucified for me in the presence of my enemies louder than my unbelief weapon is a melody heaven comes to fight for me I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder hear my praises roar up from the ashes hope will arise death is defeated the king is alive I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder my praises roar up from the ashes hope will arise death is defeated the king is alive praise a hallelujah praise a hallelujah praise a hallelujah praise a
Jeremiah said, I have a fire shut up in my bones. I know what that means. Um, <clears throat> Father, word and spirit, thou art welcome in this place. We welcome your divine presence as the triune God that you are. Amen. Um, Second Chronicles 16. I really encourage you to get the the last two days. I I was going to bring another message this morning because it's Sunday morning, and the Lord said, "No, I want you to finish the seminar." But those of you that have not been here, you're still going to be really touched by God today. Second Chronicles 16, <clears throat> verse nine. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. Now, the weakness of God would create galaxies and galaxies upon galaxies. That's his weakness. Try to imagine what it would look like for God, God, Almighty God that breathed the galaxies into being to show himself strong. We don't have a big enough mind to even begin to comprehend it. But God is looking throughout the earth. The earth has been given to the sons of men, to the children of men. And he's looking throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. But what's the key? Their hearts are perfect towards him. Now that's what we've been talking all about. <clears throat> all about and God delights to make a perfect heart. He loves to do it. And basically a perfect heart, first of all, is a heart that's focused on Him. Not here, not there, not... No, it's the Lord. I have set the Lord always before me, David said. David had the most precious heart in God's eyes. <clears throat> but you need to listen because everyone gave me the right to shock them the last two days so I'm trusting you all give me the right to shock you today also because what the Lord has taught me is shocking and just recently he commanded me to release it no matter what people think no matter what famous Christians think I must speak the word of the Lord <clears throat> so your heart is very very important to God very important very important Forty-some years ago, when I met Jesus in the most radical way, he, I asked him if he would disciple me. He said, yes. Then he said, you must deny yourself. Self is full of selfish thinking. And I said, okay. And then from that moment, for over 40 years, he's taught me one major thing, heart. Heart. And if you want to know what the Bible says about the heart, with multitudes of hundreds of scriptures, it's in my book, The Lamb's Heart. It's full of scripture about the heart. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone say what's in that book. 
So much of what Jesus has taught me, I've never heard anyone say. And because of that, um, I was not real open to share it. And when I did, rejection would speak to me, and it was very difficult. But now, I'm not a young man anymore. I'm 60. I'm 60. And when you've been around for over 40 years in, in the ministry, long, long time, and you have thousands of people that call themselves Christians who hate you, as long as there's only a couple of people, it's one thing. But when it gets into the thousands and the thousands, it's another thing. It's like, you don't, you don't, that doesn't really affect you a lot. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. And then when your heart is set on pleasing the Lord, then it really doesn't affect you. Because I will stand before God one day. We will all stand in the presence of God one day. And we will give Him an account for our life. I'm not going to give an account to all the people. And you know there's an enemy, right? And he knows how to do his job. And you know one of his main names is slanderer. Slanderer. That's one of his main names. He is the slanderer. And he used to be the covering cherub. But when he fell because of pride, it's always related to pride, he became the uncovering cherub. And he loves to uncover the people of God. Okay. So the eyes of the Lord are going throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect to him. It's a commitment from the heart of, uh, Lord, I want you to get all the glory from my heart. Now, we studied yesterday, Peter make, gives you a, a wonderful definition of what your heart is. And it's the invisible human being. So in this room today, there's, I don't know, if there's 100 people here, then you have 200 people. 100 visible and 100 invisible. And the invisible people are the real people in God's eyes. And that's so many hundreds of scriptures. I mean, it's everywhere in the Bible. But... The devil's done a pretty good job blocking the church from understanding what the heart really is. And brothers and sisters, we must know what the heart is. We must know what the heart is. Um, yeah. And it's always your heart. It's always your heart. I am, I, am, I am not in agreement with the teaching that says you have a new heart and a new spirit and a heart of flesh when you get saved. There is nothing in the Bible that says that. Nothing. Nothing. There's multitudes of scriptures that says something else. You need to listen to the last two days. I have a real problem with that teaching. A real problem. One, it takes you away from your heart. It puts you on renewing your mind. Now that's important. But it takes you away from your heart. And that's not good. And then it makes you not want to humble yourself and repent. Just renew your mind and have faith. Can I tell you, I've talked to a lot of people who have done that for years. Nothing changed. And then they found the Bible teaching on the heart, and they were totally changed. Their marriage was changed, their life was changed, depression was gone, and on and on and on and gone. But it was related to the heart. And I promise you, I promise you, your heart is always your heart, and therefore it's your responsibility. 
Now, the one thing God will always say, it's everywhere in the Bible, everywhere in the New Testament, is when pride manifests. He hates it so much that Paul, who is a real spiritual father, said to Timothy, don't pick a new convert to be in leadership for one reason, lest, lest maybe his heart is lifted up in pride. And if that happens, he falls into the condemnation, the judgment of the devil. Now, that's exactly what it says. And a new convert, brand new creation. Behold, all things have become new. All old things are passed away. Yeah, when I became a new convert, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was full of God's love. And within a very short time, I heard the audible voice of God. And I lost everything. For that one reason, I did not know about the hidden pride that will never leave you. Salvation does not get rid of your pride. Now, if we let the mind of Christ be in us, which I taught on yesterday, that would deal with your pride very thoroughly. But I can't go into all that, not today. So the eyes of the Lord are going throughout the whole earth to show himself strong to those whose hearts are perfect towards him. Okay, John chapter 4. The Lord's given me some scriptures to go over with you today. John chapter 4. In verse 23, John 4 and verse 23, but the hour comes and now is. It's now. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, because the Father seeks such to worship him. Now, whenever you see the Lord seeking, the living, um, omnipresent God, Seeking something, that means it's extremely rare. It's extremely rare. So the Father is looking for something extremely rare on the planet Earth. And it's wor true worshipers. The Father is seeking something very unique, very rare. And they're true worshipers. And they must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's why the heart is so important because there's all kinds of things in the heart that will manifest when the presence appears. And we covered that yesterday. And then the worshipers, they want them to manifest. They want them to manifest because they want a pure heart. They want a pure heart. First Peter 5, I wish I didn't have to quote this one. First Peter 5, I remember when I was preaching in the London area, and the Lord said, if you speak what I want you to speak, they will not ask you to come back. And I thought, Lord, first I said, is it really you, Lord? I had just got done, I was living in Ohio at that time, years ago, and I, I had just ministered in Germany, and in Germany it was incredible. The, the people that were delivered, the Christians that were set free from demonic bondages. One of the services, I end, it's over, the service is over, and I'm, I can't tell you the whole story, it's too much. But Jesus walks into the room. And then these two guys come up to me, and they, no, they, okay, I'm not going to tell you all that. Jesus walked into the room, and he started setting people free. I didn't do nothing, it was the Lord himself. And hundreds of demons came out. 
That was just one of the services. There's many, many more. Okay, so I stand up in the church in London, and the Lord gave me the scripture, Acts chapter 4, where it says, we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. I said, oh no. Because I knew the leaders in that church did not believe a Christian could have a demon. Even though one of their daughters was dying of anorexia. Now we have a young girl that just got married and she had a couple weeks to live. Anorexia, because in Germany they don't expect you to live. And the Lord Father completely healed her. And then the news station wanted to do a report on her and it's amazing. But in that church, and I don't know if she's still alive, it would be a miracle if this girl was still alive, but their, her father and the elders did not believe that a demon could touch a Christian. And then the Lord gives me a scripture. I cannot but speak the things I've seen and heard. And I just got done being in Germany and seeing all these Christians delivered. Well, okay. And that's when the Lord gave me First Peter 5. For the first time I saw it clearer than I could see your face. First Peter 5. That was in London. And it says, talking only to Christians, only, only to Christians. First Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, not the world. That day in London, I saw it so clearly. Your adversary. If you're a Christian, he's your adversary. Not the world. He's, he's their papa. He's their papa. He's not their adversary. But he's your adversary. And your adversary is looking and he's prowling about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And whenever I hear a Christian preacher say that he has no teeth, I want to cry or I want to scream. He has lots of teeth. He has lots of teeth. He is a roaring lion. And when the lion roars like that, it's, he's going to paralyze his, his prey and he's going to destroy him. Just like that. That's your adversary. He's real, brothers and sisters. He's for real. He's for real. And your adversary, he's looking, he's prowling about, looking, 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 seeking, seeking, just like God, seeking who he can devour in the church. Not in the world, he has them, but he's looking in the church. He's looking, he's looking to see who he can devour. Now I promise you, if I go into pride and I let pride, my heart manifest in pride, he's got legal right to attack me. And that's a definite promise. And I could give you so many scriptures. Well, anyhow, in that day, in London, I had to preach that, and they would never ask me to come back. I could tell you a whole bunch about that. A man said, uh, Brother Violi, will you write our elders? Because he was one of the many, many, many people that got delivered and saved and changed that day in London. Um, but he wanted me to come back. I didn't tell him what the Lord told me, that they would never ask me back. So I sent him a resume. I did what he wanted. I didn't want him to know what his elders were thinking. And they would never ask me to come back. Even though at the end of the message, they said, now if you want Brother Greg to pray for you, he will. I was kind of wishing they wouldn't, because I knew what would happen. People lined up for two hours to be delivered. Everyone was delivered, quite a few, except the first one. She was an old lady, and she told me her problem. I told her the answer. She said, no. Well, of course she didn't get anything. You go to a doctor and you say, this is what I have. And he says, this is your problem. You say, no. Of course you're not going to get help. She was the only one that did not get deliverance and help that day. Okay. Your adversary prowls about like a roaring lion seeking which one of you he can devour. 
there are eyes looking at us. And this ancient way is so important. It's so important. That's what this whole seminar has been about. The ancient path. Um, John 1.18. John 1.18. There is a path that leads to a place. That's what the Lord told me. John 1.18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is, very important word, is, not was. He eternally is. He is, all the time, is, where? In the bosom of the Father. So where do you think we're called to live? Because we're in the Son. And the Son is always in the bosom of the Father. Present tense, not past, not future. He is eternally is in the bosom of the Father. Now that's the place that we're called to live, in the bosom of the Father. But there's a path that leads to the place. And guess what path that is? That's the ancient path. Now if you, those of you who have been here, you've got some understanding of how important that path is. It's, the, it's humility. It's humility. I can't go into all that. Okay, Job 28. Job 28. You'd be amazed at the hundred of scriptures that talk about humility and pride. And God, you'll never find one scripture where God has anything but hatred for pride. You won't find it. Not in the Bible. Old or New Testament. It's everywhere. God hates pride. We have a book. Now all the books the Lord wrote, I did not write them. I would never take that credit. Every book was written from one hour to one month. The longest took one month. Ten books, all supernatural, all incredible. But the next book will be the, the, the most revolutionary book ever. And I'm going to Ohio tonight, and I'm going to spend three days continuing to write it. I have to get it done. It's a mandate from God, and it's called Talitha Kum. And it's all about women. It's about the oppression of women. It's about honor. It's going to be the most revolutionary book you could imagine. And I need tremendous prayer for that book. The Lord has shown me so much stuff about women. They are so oppressed. Even in churches where they don't teach that women should not speak. And I will clearly prove from the Bible that Paul wanted women to speak in church. I will clearly, clearly, clearly prove that from the Bible. But the devil has grabbed onto that. Like where it says, women be quiet, it's a shame for you to speak. That was not Paul speaking. I will clearly prove that that was the Corinthians speaking to Paul and they wanted to know Paul's response, what he thought. And his response was, what? Who? Did the word of God originate with you men? Paul did not believe women should be quiet in the church. But there's a reason why the men have capitalized and, and they've really focused on that and focused on it. And bam, bam, bam. And it's all over society. It's in every nation I've ever been to. And it's straight from the pit of hell. And I will prove that. I will prove that. That's going to be a book that <laughs> I really need prayer. The devil. Mm -hmm. Okay, Job 28. Job 28. The Lord says to every woman, let me hear your voice. That's what the bridegroom says to the bride. He loves to hear your voice. The devil hates it. And there are many, many women, just like that little girl, that Jesus had to say, Talitha kum, arise little girl. They're at that age, about 12 or 13, 
where they have not developed and they have not come forth and the Lord will send forth that word arise little girl and that could be a 70 year old woman she's still a little girl inside because she has not been allowed to fulfill her purpose in life very very important truth that we must have from the real Bible the real Jesus okay Job 28 now in Job 28 we find there's a place that leads there's a path that leads to a place the place is the bosom of the father the path is the ancient path or ancient way it's the same verse 1 Job 28 verse 1 surely there is a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they refine it when you get in that place you go through refining after refining after refining in that place what you thought was wonderful and perfect you find to be filthy and proud and black that's in that place in the bosom of the father extreme purity extreme pure love extreme humility it's in that place of the bosom of the father but there's a path that leads to that place I want to warn you I don't speak to your mind I speak straight to your heart that's how the Lord does it all the time so if you're trying to understand with your mind I kind of feel sorry for you <laughs> you only know scripture by revelation you don't know it by information revelation only Job 28 verse 6 the stones of it, that's the place. The stones of that place are the place of sapphire. It has the dust of gold. What does sapphire speak of? Total transparency. Total transparency. When you get to that place, you don't hide nothing. You're an open book before the Father. You're an open book. Total transparency in that place. Verse 7. There's a path. That's a path that leads to that place. Which no foul knows, and the vulture's eye has not seen. That speaks of criticism. One of the first things the Lord dealt with me over 40 years ago, because I come from a family that was very negative and very critical. And he said, you must get rid of that criticism. The vulture's eye. What does a vulture do? They look for dead things. They like death. They're negative. They're critical. Well, sorry, brothers and sisters, the vulture's eye cannot even see the ancient path. The ancient path is so pure, it's so wonderful, it's so lowly, it's the heart of Jesus, but the vulture's eye won't see it. Mm -mm. Criticism is not allowed to see it. And then verse 8, the lion's whelps, that's pride. The lion's whelps, they carry, they, they carry themselves as the pride. I think they're even called the pride. The lions are so proud. That's pride. The lion's whelps have not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it. That's pride and anger. Selfish anger. Selfish anger is always cursed and forbidden by God. Always. Anger, pride, and criticism. You've got to get rid of it. You have to get rid of it. And God will look at your heart to see if you want to get rid of it. But you will never see that ancient path of humility if you don't get rid of those things, it's not going to happen. But the path is leading to a place, and it's the bosom of the Father. Uh, verse 12, where, but where shall wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? 
13. Man knows not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. It's in the depths of the Father's heart. The depth says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. Verse 20. Where then does come wisdom? Where is the place of understanding? Verse 21. Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard the fame thereof with our ears. Verse 23. God understands the way. That's the path. Thereof, and he knows the place thereof. There is a path that leads to a place. Now, that's several times in that one chapter that we've read that. Brothers and sisters, there is a path. It's the ancient path. And it leads to the place in the bosom of the Father's heart. And the Lord loves to heal. We've seen him heal thousands of people. And one of the things he uses to bring tremendous healing is a father and a mother's blessing. I did not even believe in that. <laughs> when I was a real on-fire Christian for about 20 years, I did not like it if someone said, Daddy, and they were talking about God. I'm thinking, no, no, I don't like this. I mean, I didn't even like someone using that word with God. It wasn't holy enough. So that's me, how I used to be. The Lord looks for people who can do nothing from themselves, and then he'll do everything through them. The Lord doesn't just want to heal us. We've seen it so many times. People, horrible, horrible lives, extreme trauma and torture, and many times it's from Christian parents. That's Europe. It's incredible. But it's the truth. I mean, I'm talking horrible things. I mean, people that do this should be imprisoned. It's so bad. They're Christian parents, and many times they're pastors also. Now, if that doesn't put a hatred in that little precious child for God, I don't know what does. But the Lord has given a great ministry to any man of God. He can give a father's blessing. And we have seen it so many times in many, many nations. What the Father God will do through a man of God that will be a vessel for the pure love, the pure Father, the pure life. And I talked all about the difference between the leaven of the Pharisees, which is when you try to be like God, and the pure leaven of the kingdom, which is when you let God live through you. Big difference. Big difference. So many Christians are stuck with the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus said, it's hypocrisy. Now, what's hypocrisy? It means play actor. What is a play actor? Someone who tries to convince everyone that they are that person that they're playing. Try to be like Jesus? That's the leaven of the Pharisees. Another thing is, you should never try to love. God, Jesus did not say, a new commandment I give to you, that you try to love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. No, no, no. You shall love the Lord your God. If you try to love, that means that you do not love. And you're actually proving that you're trying to get from Adam, the life of Adam, what only Christ can do. We're in the midst of a move of God. And the main thing of this move of God is the pure love. 
Old people really loving, embracing, kissing young people. Young people really loving, embracing, kissing old people. And male and female, we went a year or so, I took six of our young people, 18 to 28 years old, um, to England from Germany for a trip. They shared their testimonies. Their testimonies were all phenomenal, all six of them. Phenomenal. And so I brought them to England, three girls and three guys. And the one testimony I really loved that they shared, our six young people, when they came back, was that the three girls said, we felt covered by the men. Now that was a wonderful testimony. I loved that. When the girls could say they felt covered the whole time by the men. You know, that's one of the main responsibilities of men, is to cover the weaker vessel. It's everywhere in the Bible. We should feel so safe when a man of God is in our presence. So covered, so safe. Okay, this bosom of the Father. The Father will heal you from what's in his bosom, but then he wants you to live in his bosom so he can release the same love through you to the world. That's that place. But in that place, even the gold is refined. And that's why there'd be many, many cleansings where you say, well, you know, you think you're doing fine and then you see the purity of God and you're not so fine. So you repent, you humble yourself and you get cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. Job was the best man on earth until he saw God. <laughs> the best man on earth. And he says in Job 42, verse 4 and 5, I believe, he said, I have heard about you with the hearing of the ears, but now my eye sees you. Wherefore, I repent. I hate myself. And I repent in dust and ashes. That always happens when you see the real God. Always. You will hate yourself. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. He's pure love. But you will hate yourself. That's a promise. When you see the real God. I could give you so many places in the Bible. But there's another Jesus today. Oh, you never hate yourself with him. He's, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's wicked, brothers and sisters. He's wicked. He's a false Jesus. And the Bible has a lot to say about him also. You need to listen to those last two days. And then read the Bible and you'll be shocked. And you'll be changed. Because the truth will make you free. We need the real Jesus. And it says, because I was really struggling. Because people always seem to get convicted when I'm speaking. And I was struggling one day with the Lord. And I said, Lord, can I have a nice ministry? Do I always have to make people cry? And um, then he gave me what I read yesterday. Uh, Paul went to the church in Corinth, new creation. He told them all things have become new, uh, old things have passed away. They were absolutely new creation people. No question. But they would not repent. They would not repent. And there was known sin in their heart. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 20 and to 13, 2 and 3, Paul says, When I come to you again, I will not spare, because you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me. That's the real Jesus. He will never spare self. But this other Jesus, oh, he loves self. He encourages self. He blesses self. And he wants you to do all the things you can to change the world for Jesus. Out of your own ability. Out of your own ability. The life of Adam. 
And that is abomination, brothers and sisters. It always has been. It always will be. It's time for the real Jesus. Okay, this place, the bosom of the Father. Look at Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Verse 1. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God. When you dwell in that secret place, the bosom of the Father, in Jesus, in Christ, look what happens. One, you abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's a covenant uh, covering. That's what that's It's referring to what God will do for you through the covenant. You will be under His shadow. If you are abiding, dwelling in the secret place, you, you'll be under His shadow all the time, abiding. That's a tremendous promise. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely... He will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler, from the noisome pestilence. If you are abiding in that bosom of the Father, the secret place of the Most High, He, He will deliver you from that noisome pestilence. And it goes on and on. The whole psalm is all about what God will do for the person that's living in the secret place of the Most High. You will not have to fear. No matter what happens, you will not have to fear. He will cover you with, with his feathers. Under his wings you will trust. His truth will be thy shield and thy buckler. <laughs> That's the verse Arthur Burt used to use. Um, now he's, he was from Wales. And when people would ask him about his insurance, he said, wings and feathers. Wings and feathers. Arthur's medical insurance was wings and feathers. Verse 4. They would ask him, how you, uh, they would say, uh, how are you doing, brother? He'd look at them, he'd say, they're still after me. And they'd say, what? Or they think something silly, like demons. And he would say, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Isn't that good? Goodness and mercy are pursuing me, following me all the days of my life. Oh, it just goes on and on. You will not be afraid for the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Verse 8, only with your eyes will you see, will thou, shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation. The whole psalm is what will happen if a person chooses to live in the secret place of the Most High or the bosom of the Father. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, this whole week we've been talking about the ancient way. Now, there's two kinds of wisdom. Where is wisdom to be found? I want to show you that, okay? Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Mostly everything I read, I, I, I talk and write about, I didn't hear from any man. It was the Lord himself. Like what I'm going to share right now. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. We need to understand. Have you ever wondered why the whole book of Proverbs 
is so hard on fools and foolishness. I used to wonder, Lord, you're kind of hard on some silly person. Because I used to think it was silly. Silliness. It's not silliness. It's, it's a demonic wisdom. That's why God is so hard on foolishness. And the Lord says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It's bound up. That's not silliness. That's a demonic wisdom. Now let's see where that came from. Ezekiel 28. Let's start with um, verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And then he lists several of them. Every precious stone. I have only seen one tiny colored diamond in my whole life. It was very small and it was worth 700,000 US dollars. Every precious... I asked my friend, the jeweler that showed me that, Diamond, I said, well, how many precious stones would you say there are? He said, thousands! Thousands covered Lucifer's being, body, whatever you want to call it. He was absolutely covered with majesty, glory, radiance, every precious stone. Now, if you've never seen a, a, a precious stone, a colored diamond, I want to tell you, they have an incredible power. An amazing power. The light comes into them, just normal. Actually, they're nothing in darkness whatsoever. But in light, when the light touches them, it has a power. Those stones have a power to magnify the brilliance of that light many more times. You know what that would mean? That would mean that Lucifer probably appeared, real important word, appeared brighter than God himself. Maybe that's why one third of the angels fell. Every, we have to believe the Bible. It's a real book. It means what it says. When God says every, he means every. When God says precious, he means precious. When God says stone, he means stone. Every precious stone covered Lucifer's entire being. That would make him so bright. You can't even imagine. In the presence of God. And that was his job. He was right in the presence. He was the worship leader. Okay. Something happened to Lucifer. Let's keep reading. Um, he walked in the midst of the stone of fire. That's the end of 14. Do you know we're called to live in that place? It's called the stones of fire. And Lucifer got so mad because he got kicked out. And we were allowed to come in. Verse 15. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. Now, what was this iniquity? Verse, well, let's go verse 16. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and you have sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now, that word merchandise, you know what the Lord told me about that? It's something you want people to buy. One of the main merchandise that Satan has to this second, to this day, is called information. That's what the Lord told me. Information. 
And you probably wake up every morning and he's trying to sell you information. May you never buy it. May you never buy it. That's his merchandise. He's a slanderer. He's a liar. He'll even tell you something true to make you go into fear. That's his merchandise. Verse 17, your heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As the devil thinks in his heart, so is he. As God thinks in his heart, so is he. And Jesus said, learn of me because I am meek and lowly in my heart. Lucifer had a problem. It was verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted thy wisdom. That was the beginning of what the Bible calls foolishness. It's a demonic form of wisdom. You have corrupted your wisdom. Why? By reason of your brightness. By reason of your brightness. That radiance that shined from Lucifer is what destroyed him. I could show you so many scriptures. But we only have so much time. This is the danger of every believer. It's success. It's radiance. Up until this moment, no one has really been able to handle it. It's called touching the glory of God. He will not let anyone touch his glory. Lucifer touched his glory. Because of your radiance, your shining, that's all those diamonds, you corrupted your wisdom. That was the beginning of another kind of wisdom. Now, look at James 3. James chapter 3. Verse 13. Only talking to Christians. James is only writing to Christians. James 3, verse 13. Who is a wise man endued with knowledge amongst you? Who is there amongst you that walks in the wisdom of God? That's what he's asking. Who is the person amongst you that's walking in the wisdom of God? Look what he says. Let him show it out of a good lifestyle. That's what conversation means. In the works with the true wisdom of meekness. Very important, brothers and sisters. That's the ancient way. It's meekness. Jesus said, learn of me because I am meek and lowly in my heart. Learn of me because I am meek and lowly in my heart. And this is why, if I'm walking in the wisdom of God, I will manifest the meekness of Christ. Did you get that? I will manifest the meekness of Christ. That's the true wisdom of God. It will always be revealed in meekness. Then look what he says after that. But if you have bitter envy and strife, where? In your hearts. I could, I've given so many scriptures the last two days, but there's a whole lot more about your heart. I really believe that's dangerous teaching, brothers and sisters, that you are to focus on the 
new heart and the new spirit. I believe it's real dangerous. I'm sorry. Real dangerous. God will give you a new heart. God will give you a new spirit. He will turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. But it never says that happens when you're saved. Never. And it's dangerous to teach that. Because you will stop focusing on your heart. And I want to tell you, God is very concerned about your heart. This is one of the many scriptures. I want to see one more. For those of you that weren't here the last couple of days, James 4. Talking only to Christians. James 4. Verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Isn't that interesting? Who has to purify their heart? We do. The Lord keeps giving me scripture after scripture. There are so many. But you're not going to find any scripture that says you have a new heart and a new spirit when you get saved. None. In the whole Bible. Isn't that interesting? But the Lord said, you must speak now, son. I have to. I have to. The church needs to purify their hearts. The church is full of adultery. The church is full of pride. And the church must do something. If they're waiting for God to do it, they're wrong. And if they're just believing, they're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. Let's read the next verse. In James 4, verse 9. Be afflicted, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. Does that, your Bible say that? Now those of you that have been here for two days, you have a pretty good understanding of what he's saying, I think. The ancient path of humility. You will mourn, you will weep. I've seen it thousands of times in the presence of God. But there's a hardness in the church all over the world. The church is hard. And Hebrews 3 says, guard yourself. <laughs> Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, talking only to Christians. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take heed, brethren. Who? Brethren, new creation. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you a heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort, exhort one another daily, while it's still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now we explained that pretty well the last two days. Sin is a nature. It's self-will. It's self-exaltation. And it will harden you if you let it. Take heed. Exhort one another daily. There are a multitude of scriptures in the New Testament that talk about the heart. We need to understand the heart. We really do. Because it's our greatest treasure. James 3. Very important scripture. Verse 14, if you, but if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, do not glory, don't lie against the truth. What is the truth? It's the next verse. It's the next verse. Verse 15, this wisdom that's coming through you, it descends not from above. It is earthly, sensual, and devilish. 
Do you know there's a lot of that kind of wisdom in the body of Christ over the, throughout the whole world? A lot of demonic wisdom, just like it says. And the key is what is in that speaker's heart. What is in his heart? A lot of apostles full of demonic wisdom. A lot of pastors full of demonic wisdom. And on and on. It's everywhere in the church, in every nation I've ever been to. Just like it says. It's this other wisdom. And how did it originate? It began when Lucifer's heart got lifted up in pride. Now that word strife, if there's envy or strife in your heart, let me give you some scriptures that uses the same exact word. The, the word strife in James 3, verse 14, it means strife, electioneering or intriguing for office. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's what the self-centered, deceitful politicians have. That's what he's saying. That's the meaning. In the time that it was written, it has to do with politicians that would say one thing outwardly, but they were really saying another thing inwardly, and it was, vote for me! Vote for me! Vote for me! That's the word. It's deceit. Another word that is used in one of the translations, which is pretty accurate, is selfish ambition. If there is selfish ambition in the Christian heart... They need to do some repenting. Apparently in the New Testament, uh, it is a desire to put oneself forward. That is the word strife. In the heart, it's a desire to put oneself forward. Jesus told me many years ago, if I will lose my image, he will reveal his image in me. It's time for the church to reveal the image of Christ, don't you think? Here's some places. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. Um, we read it last night. But I fear lest when I come I will not find you such as you would, as I would, and that I will be found by you such as you would not, lest there be debates, envy, wrath, strife. Same word. That selfish ambition in the church in Corinth. Galatians 5.20, it's a work of the flesh. Same word, strife. Philippians 1.16, the one preached Christ of contention. So they're preaching Jesus. They're saving souls. They're preaching Christ. But their heart is evil and wicked. It has strife. They really want to be seen for how many souls they win. That's Philippians 1.16. Philippians 2.3 let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Nothing. Nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Pride. Selfish ambition. Uh, then James 3.14. And then, let's just read James 3.14 again. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, do not glory, do not lie against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but it's earthly, it's of the senses, and it's devilish. For where there's envy and strife, there's that word again, same word, there is confusion in every evil work. Now, do you think the devil knows that? Do you think he knows he can destroy any Christian church in any place in the world if he could just get strife in their hearts? 
Because wherever there is strife, there is confusion and every evil thing. That's the pure word. There's no mixture here. That's pure. But, verse 17, the wisdom that is from above. This is the heavenly wisdom. All through the body of Christ, you have these two kinds of wisdom. And if, I've been, if I'm sitting in a place, listening to a speaker, and he's manifesting this demonic wisdom, would I know that? Jesus said in John 17, verse, John 7, verse 17, and verse 18, he says, you will know of the doctrine, the teaching, if you want to do God's will. See, there's the key. And then you will know if I speak from myself or if I speak from the Lord. That's true of any speaker. You will know if they're speaking from themselves or if they're speaking from the Lord. But the key is wanting to do God's will in your heart. If you're wanting to have your ears tickled, if you're wanting some doctrine to be confirmed in you, well then you're not going to know if, that, if it's the Lord. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. Now gentle is so important. David said, your gentleness made me great. It's the secret to creating greatness in the world, especially in the church. We need fathers and mothers that walk in divine gentleness. We need fathers and mothers that walk in gentleness. The wisdom from above is um, pure, pure. That's a pure heart. Then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated. Sometimes you go to someone and they don't like you talking to them, especially challenging them. They're, they're offended when they get challenged. Well, that's not the wisdom from God. Because the wisdom from God is easy to be entreated. Full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. That's the heavenly wisdom. Now, I mentioned about making a covenant with your eyes. The Lord wants me to show you it now. Matthew 6. Job 31 verse 1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. God is raising up a remnant today. And... They're true worshipers. And they have made a covenant with their eyes. Now that does not have to do with making a covenant not to watch pornography. People say that. They're wrong. It's In a covenant, you have two people. Two parties. Well, Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. So who's the two parties? Job and his eyes. And then he says, how can I look at a maiden? You can't look at a maiden because you made a covenant with your eyes. So pornography is included and everything else is included, including a lot of Facebook. Once you make a covenant with your eyes, you see, who governs my eyes? Not God, not the devil. My heart does. The real person inside of me, the invisible human being, my heart is the only one that can govern my eyes. Now that's what Matthew 6 is all about. Matthew 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not your alms 
before men, to be seen of men. Over and over in Matthew 6, Jesus is going to draw this comparison. A person that is living for their own image, to be seen of men, or a person that's only living to be a worshiper of the Father. That's what he's going to say in the whole chapter 6 of Matthew. Take heed that you don't do your alms before men to be seen of men. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father. This is Jesus talking, which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your alms, do not sound the trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do your alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be in secret. And your Father, which sees in secret, himself will reward you openly. You know the Lord's waiting to do that for so many people. But they have to live their life in secret to the Father. That's called living to the glory of God or ministering to God. When you minister to God, you don't care what people think. You are ministering to God. Now that was hard for me. For many, many years, I had to seek the Lord uh, to find out how can I preach to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the Lord taught me. Like right now, I'm not preaching to you. I am ministering to the glory of God. And He'll, He's ministering to you. I'm not trying to minister to you. That's the wrong direction. This is the right direction. This is how you minister and live your life to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Another way the Lord taught me is in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It says, when you work, when, um, okay, if I can't quote a verse completely, exactly, almost always the Lord's wanting us to read it. <laughs> Colossians 3, Colossians 3. This is how worshipers live their life. Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to man. Now, I've had a lot of jobs. I was always a fantastic employee. Any job I ever had, they would hire me back in, in a minute. Why? Because of that. I didn't work for my boss. I worked for the Lord. And that always made me do more than my boss required. Always. This is worship. This is true worship. Whatever you do, you do it to the Lord, not to men. Can you imagine in a marriage? We believe only in fantastic marriages, only. And we see it all the time, all the time, all the time. But that's the secret. You don't live to your spouse. You live to the Lord. And because of that, your thoughts are going to be so holy, so pure, so loving to your spouse. Because of that, your words are going to be so wonderful, so special. Because of that, your actions. You see, when you're living to the Lord and something, thought, word, deed, is not pleasing to the Lord, you can humble yourself. Unless you've got this other kind of teaching where you don't have to humble yourself. But if you've got the right teaching from the Bible, you will humble yourself. And you will say to your children, and you will say to your wife, and you will say to your husband, will you please forgive me? That's a heart of worship. 
Because you're living to the Lord. You're not living to people. Matthew 6. When you do your alms, do it in secret. Your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. And your father that's looking for worshipers, he is seeing what you do in secret. He will reward you openly. That's why David, the Lord told me one time, I said, Lord, why would you anoint David in the middle of all his brothers? I mean, they had just been rejected. Each one, one by one, God rejected them. And he's the youngest. How many youngest brothers do you know? Older brothers do you know that could handle that? Not too many. They're all rejected. And then this youngest brother comes and Samuel says, we will not sit down until he comes. Now, wow. They all, I can see them standing, waiting for David to come. And then David finally comes and it's in the center of, their brother, of his brothers. And the Lord took me to Matthew 6. This is why. Because God will reward you openly. David had a secret love affair with the Lord. He did what he did to please the Lord. He did not live to man. He lived to God. Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, you will not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into thy closet. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father which is in secret. And your Father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. Verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to fast. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint thy head, wash thy face, that you may appear not to men to fast, but to your Father, which is in secret. And your Father, which sees in secret, will reward you openly. This is a heart of worship, brothers and sisters. It's a person that learns to live their life to the Lord and not to men. Everything they do is unto the Lord. That's called living to the glory of God. That's called true worship. And that's called living your life to please one. And the Lord is raising up these people today all over the world. These are the people that's made a covenant with their eyes. This whole chapter is about the heart. Verse 19. Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where there neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. How do you lay up treasures in heaven? It's by living to the Lord. It's by doing what you do to please the Father. That's how you lay up treasures in heaven. It's about the heart. It's about your treasure called the heart. And he's going to explain that next verse. 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's how you live to the Lord. That's how you lay up treasures in heaven. It's your heart. It's your heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Verse 22, the light of the body is your eye. If you want to shine brightly, 
then let your eye be single for the glory of God. It all fits together. Some of you I know are getting this. It all fits together. The light of your body is your eye, your physical eye. Whatever you're looking, why are you looking there? That's where your treasure is. That's where your heart is directing you to look. Wherever you're looking, the light of your body is your eye. It's your choice. You're choosing to look there. I want to tell you something. Since I made this come in my eyes, I haven't been the same. I want to go from glory to glory and on and on and on in the Lord. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. The light of the body is the eye. Now the devil will tell you, oh, you don't have that kind of power. In Christ, you have all power. By his grace, you have all power. In yourself, the devil is absolutely correct. In me, as in my flesh dwells, no good thing. I agree totally. And, and Jesus said, agree with your adversary quickly. I encourage you, agree quickly that you can't do nothing from yourself. Hallelujah! What good news that is! And when we find out that I can do nothing from myself, now I can become a vessel for the living Christ. And he will do everything through me. The light of the body is the eye. It's time for the church to shine, to arise and shine. Your light has come. We have to arise as the ecclesia, as the body of Christ. But the light of the body, it's all about the heart. Chapter 6 is all about the heart. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. Guess what that will bring? Discernment, understanding, wisdom, heavenly wisdom, and on and on and on. Blessing after blessing after blessing. Your whole body's full of light. Can I tell you, I, I find a lot of Christians, they're confused. They have so much confusion. And then if someone needs help, they don't know what to do. Because their body's not full of light. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. The Father is looking for worshipers. He's looking for worshipers right here. And they are people that will live to please the Lord, to live for his glory, and to do what they do unto the Lord, not unto men. That doesn't make you a worse husband. It makes you a much better husband. It doesn't make you a worse employee. It makes you a much better employee. When you do it to the Lord, that's true worship. But if your eye be evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. This is so important. If your eye is evil, your whole body is full of darkness. And John connects light with pure love. And he says, if you love your brother, you're walking in the light and there's no cause, no cause for you to stumble. That's powerful. No cause to make me stumble? Nothing. Nothing. When my eye is single, my whole body is full of light. But if my eye is evil, my whole body is full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, the light of the body is the eye. So if that light in you is darkness, how great is it? It could be way more than you realize. But it's about 
the condition, the set of the heart. David said, my heart is fixed. I have set the Lord always before me. My heart is fixed. It's time for us to fix our heart, brothers and sisters. That's a lot more than claiming it by faith. That's a lot more than renewing your mind. I'm not against renewing your mind. I am for having a heart like David. And David was always talking about his heart. In Psalm 27 verse 8, he said, You said to me, seek ye my face. My heart said to you, thy face I will seek. What a way to talk. No one would talk like that. You said, seek my face. My heart responded, I will seek your face. Only somebody that had an incredible revelation of the heart would say such a thing. Just about done. <clears throat> now in Germany, we're used to preaching for hours on end. And nobody wants to leave. Nobody. <laughs> okay. Just about done. You know, there are so many hidden things in the heart. So many. It's real, real important how us men feel about women. And that's why God has commanded me to write this book. It's for men and women. Women will be radically healed and delivered and changed when they read this book. But it's real important how men treat women. I'd like to read to you some famous church fathers' quotes. Origin, very famous. Men should not sit and listen to a woman. Even if she says admirable things or even saintly things, that is of little consequence since it came from the mouth of a woman. Can I tell you, these are the people we learn about in Bible school, including the one I went to in North Carolina. These are, are the men of God, the early church fathers that are teaching the Bible students. Believe me, it gets a lot worse than that one. Tertullian. And do you not know that you are each an Eve? The sentence of God on this sex of yours lives in this age. The guilt must of necessity live too. You are the devil's gateway. You are the unsealer of that forbidden tree. You are the first deserter of the divine law. You are she who persuaded him whom the devil was not valiant enough to attack. You destroyed so easily God's image, man. I'll stop there. It's... It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And there's a lot of them. Pray for me as I write this book. It's not, it won't be easy. But it must be written now. The trauma, the abuse is beyond anything you could ever know. And there's a reason why many prostitutes are prostitutes. And it's not because they want to be. The Lord is wanting great love, great compassion, great honor. And he commands husbands in 1 Peter 3, I think verse 8, if you do not honor your wife, or verse 7, God will not hear your prayers. God will not hear your prayers. Okay. I want to see how to close this. I, I feel I must read an article. I think that's what I'm going to do now. And then that would be it. Yeah, that's what I feel. 
This is a, a vision that a, a man of God had named Gabriel Hoffman. Don't know who he is or where he lives, or, but I really get to witness with this. Sorry. <laughs> I saw the Lord Jesus come to me. He said, come, Father has something special for you. Excited, I followed my Lord and Savior to the throne room. Father God was there in all of his majestic glory. He greeted me with a smile. Son, he said, it's time for you to choose your life and ministry. Really, I responded with joy and amazement. Oh, Father, this is the day I have been waiting, preparing, and praying for. Is it really true? Is it really time? Yes, my son, it is time. But you must choose wisely, for this will be your life's work. Then I remembered that he was Lord of my life. But Father, what is your will for me? He smiled. Son, I have prepared you to serve me in any number of ministries. The choice is yours. Truly, I give you the freedom to choose from the set of options I have prepared for you. Any of them will please me as long as you are faithful in how you carry them out. Do you understand? Yes, Father, I replied, still too stunned to say anything more. Father took me to a great golden door and he led me through. It's, it opened to a corridor curving gently downhill and to the left. In the corridor stood a number of tables, each with an object on it. Beside each table was a door that ex exited the hallway. My dear son, said Father, we will go to each table and I will explain the ministerial gift and call you and call that you may choose. I will answer any questions you have. At any point, you may choose an option and exit through the appropriate door into your ministry and my happiness. Yes, Father, I'm ready to begin. The first table was, was covered in bright green velvet and held um, a bottle of oil. Over the doorway was inscribed, Healing. I looked questioningly, questioningly at the bottle of oil I look questioningly at the Father. This is the ministry of healing. The green table represents health and life. The bottle is the healing oil of the Holy Spirit. In this ministry, you will have power to touch people in spirit, soul, and body and bring my healing to many. I thought to myself, this would be great. Oh, the aching hearts and the broken bodies that I could touch. The glory that would be brought to Jesus by this. Yet something in my heart tugged at me. Father, this would be wonderful, but, but I feel you have something even more important for me. He smiled and led me to the next table. As we walked to the next table, I noticed how the carpet looked worn in front of the door of healing. I asked Father about this. Many have chosen this door. Those who were faithful brought great glory to the kingdom and pleasure to me. Those who abused the gift brought shame to us and themselves. The next table was made of electric blue azure. 
On it laid a wooden staff. Over the doorway was inscribed miracles in blazing letters. As we stopped in front of the table, Father spoke. The blue represents my power. On the table is Elijah's staff. With it you can have tremendous power with man and nature. You can do supernatural acts for me. The staff of Elijah. I had long admired his power and his mighty exploits for God. And yet that longing inside my heart was not satisfied. This would be tremendous, my Lord. But somehow my heart yearns for something deeper and more lasting. I thought I caught a glimmer of approval on Father face as he said very well shall we go on I nodded we went around the curved corridor until I could no longer see the door by which we entered next we came to the table of black marble shot through with white over the doorway prophecy was written in bold black letters on a pure white background on the uh, table was a worn pair of sandals. As we stopped in front of the table, Father spoke again. The colors represent the nature of prophecy. The prophet clearly sets forth the light of the truth in a world darkened by lies. The sandals belong to John the Baptist. In this ministry, you will be my oracle to those of the world. Prophecy, I thought to myself, that would be outstanding. I've always longed to speak the very words of God. There are so many lies going around in the world and even in the church. There is a desperate need for true prophets in these last days. Still, the tugging in my heart did not cease. In fact, it grew stronger. Father smiled again in approval. Son, you are wise to be thoughtful about these gifts. They are very powerful and can be quite dangerous if pursued with a wrong heart, like carrying a large electric current through a cor corroded wire. Many have used these gifts well and have entered into my joy, but too many others have destroyed themselves and those around them in their abuse of these gifts. You are free to choose these, and I will work with you and in you for their proper use. Thank you, Father, but I desire something deeper and closer to your heart. Closer to my heart, son. Very well. Let us press on. As we walked further down the corridor, I noticed two things. First, the light was growing somewhat dimmer. And second, I could hear a faint thump, thump in the distance. It sounded like a drum. And although I wondered about it, I held my peace. The next table was made of brightly polished brass. On it laid a finely made trumpet. Over the door was written evangelism in letters nearly as bright as the sun. We stopped in front of the table and I quietly waited for the Father to explain this ministry to me. He began speaking. The ministry of evangelism is very special in the kingdom. The brass represents my judgment against sin. The trumpet heralds the good news that my son Jesus bore, the judgment on behalf of mankind. The brilliant lettering is a glimpse of the heavenly kingdom. I pondered these things silently for a moment. It would be such a thrill to lead others to new life in Jesus. There are so many suffering people who need the good news. The Lord Jesus and the Father deserve to have more people gathered around the throne in worship and adoration. Does not all of heaven rejoice each time a sinner repents? I knew that this ministry would bring great joy to the Father, but the tugging on my heart grew stronger. 
Oh, Father, this would be truly wonderful, but I feel that you still have something more for me. Father, may we go on. Yes, son, the choice is yours. Let's go to the next table. We walked further down the corridor and came to a table made of pure white alabaster. On it were, were a piece of slate and chalk. Over the doorway was written, Teaching. Son, this is also a very special ministry to the kingdom. There are so many in dire need of proper teaching of my true word. The word as it is recorded in the scriptures and that which is being poured forth day after day from the throne. The white table rep represents the purity of the properly taught word. The slate and the chalk represent the instruments of an instructor of the things of God. This is it, I thought. This is what I came to Bible school for. I know the Lord has placed the call for teaching on my heart. And as Father said, it's desperately needed in the body of Christ. I was just about to tell Father, this is the one I wanted when I felt the tugging even stronger in my heart. I looked down the corridor. It was dark, but it seemed like the drumbeat was coming from that direction. It wouldn't hurt to see what the Father had available. Father, this is the one that I thought I was, was for me, but now I'm not so sure. Can we walk a little further? Of course, son. As we walked on, I noticed that the light was growing dimmer and the drum beating was more distinct. I asked Father about it. Son, the lights are dimmer here as we descend further away from the more open and public ministries. As for the drum beating, I think it's best if you discover the source of that for yourself. We walked further... We walked further down the corridor and came to its end. Three tables were set there, one on each side, and one at the end. We stopped in front of the table on the right. It was made of pure silver and glimmered even in the dim light. On it was a small wooden cross. Across the doorway written in blood and red letters were the word love. This is a deep mystery, my son. Few come this far. The silver represents a pure reflective surface for my love to shine upon. The cross is a symbol of the sacrifice of Jesus in demonstrating ultimate love for the world. The blood-colored letters are memorial to the blood shed there. Love, I whispered, this is what this hurting world needs so incredibly. There are so few who really love with God's true love. It would be tremendous privilege to carry His love. Yet the longing in my heart was not satisfied. We turned around to see the table on the left wall. It was made of black ebony. On it was a simple mat. Written above the doorway was the word intercession. On the door itself was this question, Who will stand in the gap? The Father spoke quietly. The black represents the darkness and the depth of intercession. It is dark in the prayer closet, and an intercessor must be willing to go into the depths of sin to rescue the perishing by prayer. The prayer mat is the simple tool of the intercessor. There are so few intercessors, son. Few people will make themselves so available to me that they will not despise a work which appears to be nothing while in reality moves the entire universe. Oh, Father, to be a true intercessor, to represent man before you and represent you before man, I would love, 
I would so love to be able to stand in the gap and pray your burdens for the world. I know I would receive little earthly recognition. I would be satisfied in knowing that I was part of your touch in this world. But what is the final ministry? We walked a short distance to stand before the final table in the door. There was very little light and the drumbeat was quite loud. The table was made of pure gold and shined with an inner light. On the table was a small golden altar with incense burning. Over the doorway was written in gold letters, Ministry unto God. Father spoke very quietly, barely audible, over the drumbeat. Son, this is a ministry that very, very few choose. The gold represents divinity. The altar is one that stands in the heavenly tabernacle and burns fragrant incense to me. This ministry will not earn earthly recognition. The world and most of the church may think you spend your time for nothing. It is the ministry of service to me, not to achieve anything or affect the world, but merely to be my worshiper, companion, and friend. Father stood there looking quietly at the door, I could not see his face in the dim light. I asked him, what is your desire? Son, you are free to choose any. I rejoice in all the faithful service. So I stood there quietly thinking, what did I really want to do with my life? There are so many needs in the world and in the church. So few were truly faithful. I knew the workers were few, and yet I could not shake the growing desire in my heart to serve God, nothing else, just to minister to Him. How many others would be there with me? Would my family understand? What about my church? As I pondered all of this, I started thinking about how worthy Father was to be worshipped and adored. That very task would be our heavenly activity according to the book of Revelation. Couldn't a few of us start now? Then I thought of all that Jesus had done for me on the cross. What higher thing could I do with my life anyway? Father, I choose this door, this path. Are you sure, my son? Yes, Father, quite sure. Good, son, go in. As Father turned to face me, I could see tears streaming down his face. I, I stopped in amazement. Before I could think about it, I reached up and wiped his tears. I then realized what I had done. Father, please forgive me. I didn't mean to be so impertinent. He reached down and hugged me. Son, never be sorry for, the, for that. You have dried my tears, and you will do it many times again in this ministry. There is so much in the world that brings me that brings me tears of grief only a few move me to tears of joy with that father opened the door for me and motioned me to enter as i went in the first thing that struck me was the drum beat it was quieter in the room I realized it was not a drumbeat at all, but his heartbeat. Next, I saw someone 
coming to embrace me, I knew just by looking at him, it was Jesus. Warmly he said, it is wonderful to see you here. So you have chosen to minister to the Father with myself and the other great people in this room. Slowly I turned my head. Enoch, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, and many others gazed upon me with welcoming expressions. With you, all of you, I asked bewildered, of course, what do you think I was doing for all of eternity before there was my creation, was any creation? I ministered to the Father. And now I'm so glad that you are joining us in this marvelous duty and alliance. Jesus then turned to me, his expression more serious. It is time that I give you this precious gift. In his hand was a beautiful, ornate, golden key. I was puzzled. Then he said, this is the key to God's heart. It allows you to have access to him at all times. You see, this is the master key. In his house, it will fit all the doors you pass by. Because you chose him, choose him, and ministry to him, you will be afforded intercession, teaching, evangelism, love, and all the other ministries. Because all of the lesser are found in the greater. That's what's been on my heart for the seminar. This whole seminar um, has to do with a way to live your life. So it's not the normal seminar where, where you pray for people and impart things. This is an impartation of the word. It's a different kind of seminar. But I want to tell you some major things that have taken place during this seminar. Father, we bow our hearts before you right now. And I thank you for the deposit that will never leave this place, that you yourself have released. And I ask, Father, that there will be many, many people that will be risen up to minister to you because you are seeking worshipers. You yourself told us, Jesus told us, that the Father himself is seeking worshipers. And I pray in this very room, there will be many worshipers of the Father. And we know that as they minister and dwell in the bosom of the Father and in that secret place, that they will impart and they will be used as a vessel. And you will be so pleased. You will be so happy. And they will dry your tears and they will release your love. And they will be so happy for the rest of their life. Thank you, Father. And I commit your people to you. I give every one of them to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for everything. Thank you, Lord.